If you have your Bibles, would you open them, please, to the book of 1 Corinthians 4. And I know many of you came back because the pastor said he'd let us out early tonight. And you're saying, does he keep his word? Hey, how many of you, when you were teenagers, you said, hey, 10 o'clock at night, that's, that's early. Slip your hand. Man, that's early. Uh, how many of you now that are over 50 say, 10 o'clock, that's late. Oh, that is late. <laughs> you know, I'm not going to mention his name, Brother Treber. But several, several years ago, they did a New Year's Eve watch night service and ended at eight. <laughs> he said, we'll start at seven. At eight o'clock, we're all going home. Shutting the lights off, go home, go to bed. I mean, that was their New Year's Eve party. It ended at eight. And so uh, maybe, maybe he got a little older. I don't know. But First uh, Corinthians chapter 4 I love this book of the Bible. I've just grown more and more in love with Corinthians, 1st and 2nd Corinthians. A couple reasons. Uh, Well, let's just see. Is it it too warm? It's it's a little warm to me. Any two warms or am I the only one? Maybe I'm under the light or something. Couple. We have one air unit on. Is that right? We have one on right now, so it should be blowing your way soon. But the reason I love Corinthians is... God allows a church to be planted in the most unlikely city. And we've talked recently about how wicked the city of Corinth was. Uh, I'm not going to go into details, but there, were, uh, there was a lot of um, uh, religious uh, sexuality. There was a lot of sensuousness. Uh, there, were, there, were, there were idols uh, that were built to all these false gods. Just a wicked place. We mentioned two weeks ago, if you ever wanted to call someone a dirty name, you said, you Corinthian, and that's as low as you could go. I mean, if you ever said, you must be from Corinth, I mean, those were fighting words. I mean, that's about as low as you could go, because Corinth was much like New Orleans. Uh, New Orleans actually has a parade every year. It's called the Decadence Parade. Decadence. That means Anything goes. There's no sin. There's, there's, there's no bottom to the things that we can enjoy. And so uh, Corinth would have been the decadence city, if you will. So an unlikely city for a church. By the way, Napa may be one of the most unlikely cities for a Bible-believing, soul-winning church like this. Uh, uh, we're supposed to be known as the wine capital of the world here. But one day I hope we'll be known as the Christian capital of the world in Napa. More saved people in Napa than any other city in the world. And uh, that's, that's what the Lord would like. So it was an unlikely city. Number two, it was an unlikely preacher who started this church or missionary, if you will. Paul's the one that persecuted Christianity. Paul is the one that uh, was the Mussolini, the Adolf Hitler, if you will against Christians, tortured them, held the jackets for people as they stoned some of the faithful members. Paul probably had blood splattered on his clothes as he had people locked up and handcuffed and men and women, the Bible said, cast into prison. So it's kind of unlikely God would use a guy like that. Maybe it's a little unlikely he'd use someone like us, huh? God looks down. He uses unlikely people to do unlikely things for him. 
And so here it is. The theme in uh, this uh, book of Corinthians is given glory to God through the church. Given glory to God through the church. So let's look down, if you will, just uh, we'll just kind of uh, highlight just a few verses here. But in 1 Corinthians chapter 4, we're not going to review anymore. Here's what he says. Let a man so account of us, Paul is writing this, uh, as of the ministers of Christ and stewards, there's the word, of the mysteries of God. He said, we're a minister and we're a steward. He repeats it in verse 2. Moreover, it is required in stewards that a man be found faithful. So we'll talk about that. I think we'll be out a little bit early tonight. Brother Brett asked me how long I was going to go. And uh, he loves the Bible but hates preaching. And uh, so I'm just kidding. Father, bless now the brief time we have. Help us now. Be hungry. Want to learn something that can help us in our lives. In Jesus' name we ask. Amen. So we see this word here. It's the word minister. And it would be also referring to this word, the under rowers. If you've ever seen the world famous movie that won all these Academy Awards, Ben-Hur, you're dating yourself if you've ever seen it because it's probably on VHS. It may even be on cassette. I don't know what it is, but uh, it is is just ancient. And it gives the picture. It It has Rome ruling the world. And someone crossed Rome and they, uh, they assaulted one of their leaders. So they sent them to the galleys to row the Roman ships. And if you've ever seen those ships on the videos or movies and ancient drawings, the under rowers, where they rowed from, was the underneath of the ship. So you'd see those long poles, those oars coming out. There'd be air holes for them. And, of course, they'd have the eating galleries and uh, they'd have the cannons firing off the deck. But way down the stairs would be all these slaves chained one to another, chained to the walls. And all they did was row. They didn't leave their position. If they got sick, they got sick. No restroom facilities. They would hand them food as they ate. And then the reason they existed was to aid Rome. They didn't have names. On one of the movies, uh, 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 the uh, uh, soldier came up to the guard and says, uh, uh, what is your name, number 67? They just had numbers because they didn't matter. If they died, they were removed and another slave was chained there. They were called the under rowers. You never saw them. If a ship pulled up to a port, you didn't see the slaves. They were underneath the boat. They were the under rowers. You saw the captain. You saw the crew. They were the under rowers. Well, that word is used here in this verse number one. Paul said, guess who I am? Uh, Corinthian church. I'm just a minister of Jesus Christ. I am one of Jesus under rowers. I'm just one of the guys that keeps the boat going. I don't have to be recognized. I don't have to get a star next to my name. I don't have to have my name printed in the lights. I don't have to have any awards. Uh, It doesn't matter if I'm seen. I'm just a servant. I'm an under roar. So Paul is saying that's what every Christian servant 
ought to have in our heart. We're just under roars. I'm keeping the class going. I don't need to be seen. Uh, my name doesn't need to be in the lights. I'm just keeping that bus route going. Uh, we're trying to reach the people in the jail. Uh, don't put my name in the light. Uh, uh, I'm an under rower. And great churches are built by under rowers. Those that are, what he says here, a minister of Christ. And then he introduces a new word here. He said, so let us account of, uh, of ourselves as the uh, ministers of Christ. And, and verse 2, he says, moreover, it's required, uh, uh, required in stewards that a man be found faithful. So the entire premise of the Christian life after we get saved is to be faithful. Amen. I love the old song Brother Benefield sang before he went to Cambodia. Let him find us faithful. May all who come before us find us faithful. The Bible says a faithful man abounds with blessings. Jesus said here in scripture, it's required in a steward that a man be found faithful. It's the marine motto. Ask Brother Bob. He's not feeling well tonight, but you ask him, uh, what is the marine motto? Semper Fidelis. It simply means always faithful or faithful unto death. Always there. And that ought to be a goal for us this year in 2024 to be found faithful. Faithful to the house of God. When the doors open, it ought to be our, like Mike Johnson would say, I quote him, your carcass ought to be walking through. Well, if you're a carcass, you're not alive anymore, but your carcass ought to be walking through those doors. We just need to be found faithful, faithful to the house of God. You know, some people in church, you have to wonder, are they going to be here this week? You think they'll be here this week? Hey, let's get them to do such and such. But you think they'll be around this week? Uh, you ought to be the person no one ever has to ask, are they going to be at church? Are they going to be around? Man, we're faithful. We're always there. My mother instilled in us boys, my brother Tommy and I, when she got saved, she said, we're going to church. We're going Sunday morning. We're going to Sunday school. We're going uh, Sunday night. We're going Wednesday night. Special meetings. It was get in the car. It was never a boat. Some families, every week, they vote. We going to church? I don't know. You want to go to church? I don't know. I don't know. Well, let's ask the kids since they're in charge. Y'all want to go to church? No, we don't want to go to church. Mom, no, we're not going to church. We're not going to church. It ought to be someone just say, we're faithful, always there. It's, it's required. Uh, there's, a, there's a geyser. You've heard of it. I forget the name, but it shoots up real high. It's not the tallest, not the longest, not the most amount of water. But people come from around the world to see it, and it's called Old Faithful, there it is. And that ought to be us. It just ought to be us. It's hard to get people to be faithful. Thank God you're at church on Sunday night. Nothing's more discouraging for the pastor. Pray over a message, get a sermon ready, sit down and say, we're so-and-so. Oh, the game went in overtime. By the way, I'm just going to say it in advance. 49ers are in the playoff next Sunday. And you know that, by the way, Brother John said, pray for Detroit. Pray for Detroit. That's who he's pulling for. They've never won a Super Bowl. Pray for Detroit. Pray for Detroit. But I'm just saying, the game starts next week, 3.30. So where are you going to be? Six o'clock. Just asking. I'm just asking. But it's the 49ers. They're playing next week. The 49ers didn't die on the cross for me. And I like the 49ers. And I like Brock Purdy. And I like those guys. By the way, the game wasn't pretty yesterday. Get it? It wasn't pretty. Oh, forget the whole thing. Hey, look, if you don't know football, you don't know nothing. Anyway, so but I'm just saying, next week, next week, temptation's going to be, no, we're going to watch a game or we're coming to church. I'm going to be at church. I'll have a TV right here in the pulpit. 
But I'll be, I'm just, I'll be at church. I'll be at church. I still remember in the olden days, uh, Super Bowl in, in Louisiana, it was like, I mean, it started when church started. And so we were going to miss the whole thing. Finally, a rich friend got a VCA, a VCR recording, uh, a recorder. He was going to record the game. Three hours of tape. We rushed home after church. Don't talk to me. We rushed out the side door. We're going to watch the game. The telephone started ringing. We wouldn't answer it. We're watching the game. It was tied up. Two minutes left and the tape ran out. <laughs> they had an hour long halftime show. We had to call someone to find out who won the game. You know, I think the Lord looks down and says, Hey, I'm proud of you when church is above a football game. I'm just saying. Just saying. Maybe that's why the Lord's letting the 49ers play the last quarter during church. Maybe just to kind of test us a little bit. I don't know. The Bible says, well done, thou good and faithful servant. So God looks at our service to him. He says, well, you did a good job. Done. You finished. You didn't quit. God gives no awards to quitters. Well, I served the Lord most of my life. No, he wants you to finish the finish line. He wants you to finish. Well done, thou good. And then he says, faithful servant. How important is that? So we have three words that are brought to us tonight. I want to give them to you. Number one, the word steward. What does this word mentioned two times mean? Steward. Simply means this, manager. He owns, we possess. He's the owner, we're the manager. He owns everything, we own nothing permanently. You realize that, right? You say, no, 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 we bought this house, we own it. Well, un uh, until you die. Until the Antichrist takes over and we're up in heaven, then he gets it. Sometimes I'll look at people's houses that look nice and I'll say, oh, it looks so nice. The Antichrist is going to love this. <laughs> He's going to love this. <laughs> we're not going to keep it. Okay, moving right along. You're saying, I just finished painting my car. Stewards, we have no option. The moment you're saved, you become a steward. Whether you're a good one or a bad one is determined by you. What areas are we stewards? I want to give them to you in Scripture quickly. Number one, our talents. Our talents. And in Scripture, God talks about a guy's given five talents, two talents, one talent. I realize it's a measure of money. But God does give us ability. In another uh, Scripture, it says, And everyone rewarded according to their several ability. So God does gift or talent us with abilities. What's that mean? It means what are you naturally good at or what are you good at that can be developed? For instance, Michael Jordan bought him his first basketball years ago. I was so glad. No, no. But Michael Jordan, you could practice as much as Michael Jordan and never be as good as him. He had some natural ability to start off with. Now that got developed. But... That was a talent, a gift that God gave him. So what are you good at? What is something that just comes easy for you? You enjoy just what is what is a gift that is a natural one for you? Anybody over here? Just real quick. And, and no long speech, just like a word. OK, Carol. Teaching. Teaching. OK. And not everyone's good at that. But God put that in her. She's developed it. And she's a wonderful teacher. Anybody else over here? Middle section. Uh, just good at. You're good at something. What are you? Art. 
What? Cars? Oh, oh, art. Okay. Anybody else over here? Okay. Joanne? Sing? Okay. So it came kind of, kind of natural for you. Good. Can't wait to hear you sing. Good. How about over here? Anybody? Fighting. I'm good at fighting. Starting fights. <laughs> Anybody else over here? I know you too well. I have to zip my lip. Some of you, it's mechanics. You're real good with your hands. Some of you are fix-it people. You can look at something and you can just figure it out. Others cannot do that. Others have to Google it, call Uncle George or something like that. It's just, but some of you, it's a natural thing. Here's what God says. You're a steward of that. How are you going to use that for the glory of God? You're a professional football player. Here's Brock Purdy. I don't know if he'll survive the fame of being fam- I don't know. He's engaged. Is he going to behave? I hope he does. Hope he glorifies the Lord and all that stuff. But God has gifted that guy. So how's he going to use that to further God's glory? He's going to give millions to foreign missions. Is he going to start orphanages, start church? You know, what's he going to do to use that? Or is he going to use it all on himself? So number one, we're stewards of our talents. Uh, Darkus had a needle. When she passed, look at all these things she made. David had a harp. He was very good at playing the harp. Moses, he had a rod. He beat his kids. with No, 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 he didn't beat his kids with it. No, he parted the, the river. Number two, we are, ta- uh, we are a steward of our time. Of our time. Time is life. At the end of people's lives, in some biographies, it'll say they lived 69 years, 14 days, 3 hours, 22 minutes. All of us have a limit and it's done. I think of the teenage girl killed at Columbine who when the demon-possessed boys had the gun to her head, they said, are you a Christian? She said, yes. They ended her life at age 17. Her name was Cassie Bernal. I think of missionary to Egypt, uh, Bill Borden passed away age 24. I think a missionary to the American Indians, David Brainerd, passed away age 29. I think of uh, uh, D.L. Moody, great, great evangelist, passed away age 58. I think of uh, Charles Spurgeon, uh, 62. I think of our friend Clint Cavanus, age 61. I think of Pastor Sexton, who recently died in Tennessee, age 75. We all have a number. And God says, we're going to give an account. How did we use our time? Did we waste it? You say, Pastor, what are you talking about here? Scripture says redeeming the time because the days are evil. Let me encourage you. Avoid time wasters. I'm not against you watching an occasional ball game, watch the news, some favorite show perhaps. But if you're a person that spends 30 hours a week in front of the television, you could have probably filled a bus with that amount of time knocking on some doors. You want to you give an account of your time one day. Be careful. Uh, don't waste it. Uh, invest it. Uh, use it. Uh, we could go on and on on time-saving methods and so forth. Number three, we're stewards of our treasures. Our treasures. Look at uh, the book of Matthew just for a moment. Would you please? It'll keep you awake too. Take a deep breath. Okay, turn the pages. And if you're hot, just turn them real fast. It'll fan you. I mean, there's a lot of, lot of advantage to using the Bible. So Matthew chapter 6. Let's look at this for a moment. And verse number 19. Matthew 6. 
In verse number 19, it's in red. Jesus is speaking here. Matthew 6, 19, lay not up for yourselves treasures. Notice what it says, for yourselves. Nothing's wrong with retirement. Nothing's wrong with investments. But he's saying if it's all about you, it's not good. Treasures upon earth where moth and rust doth corrupt, where thieves break through and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust doth corrupt and where thieves do not break through nor steal. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Uh, When a person begins to tithe and give to God's work, they start showing up more. You know why? They want to see how it's going. They want to see where their investment is. And that's what Jesus said. Then if you look down a little further into verse number 24, this is a great verse for a young person. No man can serve two masters. For either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will hold to the one and despise the other. Ye cannot serve God and mammon. That word mammon means that in which one trusts. You could translate it money. At the end of our life, we will either serve the Lord or serve money. One will be our boss. One will be our boss. You cannot serve both. Let's keep going here. i uh, give you two others, kind of a different, different verse here. In Deuteronomy, if you will, if you can't find it, I'll just read it. Chapter number eight. Deuteronomy chapter no, number eight. It's raining right now. Uh, Deuteronomy eight. And looking down in verse number 18. 18. I love this verse. Deuteronomy 8, 18. We're doing good. You're doing great. Deuteronomy 8, 18. Did I tell you the story when Brother uh, Schulte and I were bowling? He, uh, he, he betted me $1,000. Well, I'll get into that later. But Deuteronomy 8, 18. But thou shalt remember the Lord thy God, for it is he that giveth thee power. Look at that one. To get wealth. That he may establish his covenant, which he swear unto thy fathers, as it is this day. So you say, Pastor, I made, man, I made a lot of money last year. I made $100,000. Made, made half a million dollars. Uh, God says this. It is me that gave you the abilities and the power to make that wealth. And that's why it's so important to be a tither. It reminds us who gave us those abilities. Then here's another one quickly. In Deuteronomy 14.22, please. 14.22. And uh, here it is. 14.22. So we're stewards of our treasure. At the end of our life, if we made $10 million, God's going to say, so what did you do with that? Well, obviously we're going to spend it all somewhere, but what did we do? What did we do for his kingdom? Where did we invest it? What is eternal? What's going to last Deuteronomy 14, and looking down to verse number 22. And it says, Thou shalt truly tithe all the increase of thy seed that the field bringeth forth year by year. And thou shalt eat before the Lord thy God in the place which he shall choose to place his name there, the tithe of thy corn, tithe of thy wine, tithe of thine oil, firstlings of thy herds and thy flocks. Look at this. That thou mayest learn to fear the Lord thy God always. So what does tithing do? When I gave my tithe this morning, it taught me the fear or the respect of God. I respected God by saying, Lord, here is the first 10%. You own it. I'm giving it back. I'm being honest. 
I'm paying my bill. I owe you. Here it is. An offering is anything above that. And again, if you have no income, 10% of zero is zero. You're still a tither. How do you like that? Okay. So we're stewards of our talent, our time, our treasure. Give you another one here. We're stewards of our body. Listen to this in 1 Corinthians chapter 6. If you want to jot it down, you can. If not, I'll read it to you. And Paul says this to this church at Corinth. 1 Corinthians 6, verse number 19. What? Notice how that verse starts. What? Any of your parents ever say that to you? <laughs> your kids say something and they say, what? <laughs> Paul says, what? Know ye not that your body... Wait, wait, it's my body. I can do whatever I want to with it. All these abortion uh, uh, rallies. Keep your business out of my body. Well, God says, what? Know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost, which is in you, which ye have of God. Look at this one. And you're not your own. Well, it's my body. I can do whatever to it I want to. I can put ink in it. I can put uh, uh, marijuana in it. I can put alcohol in it. I can cut it. I can permanently mark it. I can do a lot of things because it's my body. God says, no, it's not. And then verse 20, for you're bought with a price. Therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. Let me just say this. I haven't said this in a long time. Pastor doesn't have any tattoos. I was going to get one on the cruise ship at last three days just to mess with some people's minds. <laughs> Rub off one's my luck. They put permanent, man, I'd be cursed or something. Now, whatever you have on your body at this point, I mean, you have it to the rapture, but you're not going to have it up in heaven. I mean, what do you do? You tattoo a, a boyfriend or girlfriend's name to your neck, and then you break up. Now, there's there. Now, you got to cross that and put it on the neck. It's it, it just, man, I've seen it all. I still remember the guy in our church. He came here on Sundays and he had eyes tattooed to the back of his neck. Eyes. So when you sat behind him, it was like, oh. <laughs> he's, he's looking at me. I mean, you name it. Almost everyone we baptize, that's an adult. They got tattooed. They're on their legs. They're on their feet. I still remember the guy, a tattoo. He had, he had bones. He had bone tattoos. So it was foot bones, leg bones. So when he started to step in the water, it looked like I was baptizing a skeleton. One guy had a toe tattoo, a toe tag tattoo that they put on dead bodies. Toe tag, it said D-O-A, dead on arrival. And so when he got in, I said, you were dead on arrival, but you got saved today. Now you're alive under Christ. So what did we do? We cut his foot off. So we wouldn't have that tattoo anymore. No, we didn't. So what's past is past. But what I'm saying is, don't get a tattoo. It's not your body. Oh, you're not pleased with the way God has made you? Did he not make you good enough? Do you need some more uh, uh, shading and more pictures on your body? So, so, so God's not a good creator. David said, I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. God makes no junk. Just a thought there. And then I want to say this too. We're stewards of the gospel. In 1 Corinthians, excuse me, 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 10, it says, we are stewards of the grace of God. We're saved by grace through faith. We're stewards of the gospel. So God is going to say, all right, someone gave you the gospel. You got saved. What did you do with it? 
What'd you do with it? Hide it under a bushel? No! I'm going to let it shine. Did you, did you ever get the gospel out to anybody? I remember I was in high school and uh, with a girl named Cynthia Poole. She got saved out of the public school. And she started coming to our youth group in Louisiana. And I remember talking to her. I said to Cynthia, here's how you lead someone to Christ. And I went through the scriptures and marked her Bible. I said, now, shh, don't keep it a secret. You're a steward. Most everyone in this room is a better soul winner than I was when I was in junior high school. And I was raised in a soul winning church. Most of you have been more trained than the training I ever got at that age. What are you doing with it? Do the neighbors know how to get saved? Do the co-workers where you work, do they all know how to get saved? Or have they at least received a gospel track? Uh, is there a group of people you're praying for and you're working on? We're stewards of the gospel. And then quickly here, we mentioned it this morning. We're stewards of our children. Well, I don't like to correct them. Well, they're not yours. So you have to do what you're supposed to because they belong to him. Now, son, I hate to do this, but God told me. <laughs> Blame it on him. So, so we see this, this one word here in 1 Corinthians 4. We see the word steward. We're all stewards. What kind of steward are we? One day we'll stand before Jesus. He'll say, I gave you this much time. Gave you this kind of health. Gave you these talents. These, these, these things easy to do for you. Gave you these children. Gave you this time. Gave you the gospel. Now, what did you do with all of that I gave you? And here's what that means as well. To whom much is given, much is required. Some of you are like five talent people. I mean, there's nothing you can't do. My brother was that way. He could sing. He could play instruments. Uh, he, he was popular. He could speak. He could give speeches. He could, he could do that. He could do that. He would lead the music. He was marching back. All these things. Me, none of that. He had five talents. Maybe I had one. So if God's given you a lot, He's going to expect a lot out of your life. If God's given you little, he's going to expect little. Young people, if you're raised in a Christian home or you've got Christian leaders that love you and are invested in you, more is expected out of you. Just a thought. Then let's look at these last two words. Look down, please, in verse number nine. So Paul now is speaking to these Corinth Christians. And he says, some of you, you kind of think you're more important because you know some important people. And Paul said, look at this, verse 9. For I think that God has set us the apostles, you remember just 12 of them, last, as it were appointed to death. For we are made a spectacle unto the world and to angels and unto men. A little back up here. Some of you have been on the trips to Rome, to Israel, some of those places. Rome was real big into entertainment, much like America. Have you noticed? It's football season. And now Super Bowl hadn't even happened. And now it's this kind of fake football. What do they call it? U.S. US something. something. It's Canada League. something. What's it called? U? UFL? UFL. Not NFL. UFL. So it's like, if that's not enough football, here's another one. And then baseball is up already and basketball is still going and March is coming and March, Matt. It never ends the entertainment. 
and this new movie's come out, this new movie. It's just all the entertainment here in America. I mean, it's just everywhere. Well, in Rome, they liked entertainment. And the emperors wanted the citizens to like them so they would build theaters. That's what the Roman Colosseum is. It was built for entertainment. At one time, we're told in history, one of the emperors flooded the Colosseum and floated two ships. And they had an actual battle where cannons fired at each other in the Colosseum. (laughs) Don't be in the end zone section while the cannons are going off. And so they did that. The gladiators would fight. They would have the wild animals come out. And then the last people to come out, guess who they were? The prisoners and the slaves. These poor people who owed debt and they were locked up in prison. They had to come out last. And they had to fight the wild animals. They always lost. It was like the closing act. The gladiator's important. The ship's important. These poor people, these slaves. All right, come out, let the animals eat you, and you're the last act. That's where that word spectacle comes in. It's the same word, kind of theater, spectacle. Paul says, you think you're something. He says, us apostles, we're like the last act. We're just the poor people that get eaten by the lions. Paul had a humble spirit when he thought of himself. God will never use a proud Christian. He'll use a humble Christian. He said we're stewards. He said we're spectacles. And then last, verse 15, Paul said to this church, he said we're fathers. He said, what do you mean fathers? Verse 5, for though ye have 10,000 instructors in Christ, in other words, you've heard a lot of different preachers, yet have ye not many fathers? For in Christ Jesus, I have begotten you through the gospel. So what's that saying? Paul is saying, I will always have a special relationship with you because I was there when you got saved. I'll never forget that. I was talking to Jonathan, my son, a while back. And he said, I was there on that visit, dad, when that family got saved. There's nothing that knits your hearts with anyone like being there and being a witness when they're birthed into God's kingdom, when they accept Christ and they're born again. It's nothing like it, a special closeness. So Paul is saying, hey, look, church. He said, I know you have a lot of baggage. It's an unlikely town. I'm an unlikely missionary to witness to you, but we will always be close because I was there when you received Christ. Let's have that closeness with people in our city because they still need to be reached. 1 Corinthians, a church that never should have been really, but they were glorifying God. And now they're blessing us 2,000 years later. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the word of God. Thank you for faithful stewards that reached us with the gospel. Those who have been faithful through the years to influence us.